1: Everybody and Welcome to College Football Live with Greg McElroy and Roman Harper. I'm Wendy Nix. And as we turn the calendar to August, teams around the country are getting ready to report to fall camp. In fact, we're now just days away from a number of notable programs who will begin practice. How about this on Thursday? We've got Alabama, Ohio State, Texas, Michigan, and the defending national champion Georgia Bulldogs. With other programs like USC, Clemson, and Notre Dame getting underway on Friday. So with that, we will go around the country and look at some of the most pressing questions facing each conference. And, Greg, I'll start with you and the SEC.
2: It's who's the biggest surprise team to me right now because I look at teams 3 through 13 and they kind of feel interchangeable. So is it going to be someone that maybe comes out of obscurity to steal the spotlight? Could it be Mississippi State, a team that brings back Their quarterback and Will Rogers, and if you notably look at what Mike Leach has done in his tenure, his third year at usual stops, usually his best year. So could he get things going for Mississippi State? And then South Carolina out of the East. They finished with a bang last year. They did a great job in the bowl game. They've carried over some of that momentum into the offseason with how they've recruited and how they've got now Spencer Rattler, what was the face of college football a year ago at this time. Mm -hmm. He's now at the helm for the Gamecocks. So I think that those two teams in their respective divisions could play the spoiler potentially if the stars align. So who's the biggest surprise team is the big question out of the SEC.
3: Well, Greg, for me, it's got to be, you know, who's the third best team in this conference? We all were there at the SEC Media Days and all they talked about was Alabama and Georgia being those top two. Well, let's look at a team like Tennessee coming off a great momentum. Also, unexpectedly great season by Hendon Hooker, Cedric throwing the ball to Cedric Tillman. Kentucky's another team led by Will Levis in that offensive running game who we know he likes to show out. Texas A&M, are they going to show up? Are they going to be that team that we all expect them to be or want them to be, especially after all these strong recruiting classes, putting it together? When does Texas A&M, the real Texas A&M, stand up and be that third or second best team or even contend for SEC championship in the SEC? That is the most intriguing question is, Who's the third best team? We all think we know who number one and two is, but who's that third best team?
1: AM with the top recruiting class, by the way, the first time since we've measured those things. But to your point, Roman, it has to gel. They have to come together and figure it out. What about, Roman, the ACC?
3: Well, we all know who Clemson is and who always represents the ACC. But for all those guys who are a little bit older than you, Greg, like myself, back in those late 99s and early 2000s. What about Miami? What about Virginia Tech? What about Florida State? Will they return to relevancy? That is what we're all looking for. Clemson's holding their end of the bargain to the ACC. But you other teams, we are no in love college football because of you. You have to do your part in bringing this conference back up to where it should be, where the ACC was a dominant conference. And it's because Miami – Florida State and Virginia Tech were at the hot, the height of it. See, I think the big
2: thing now, and not much like last year and the last couple of years, frankly, is the ACC is a one-team league as of right now. I'm not saying that they're Agreed. across the board. But if Clemson stays healthy, if Clemson gets quality quarterback play, are they back? Because we know what this team looks like when you have a top-tier quarterback, a top-flight quarterback like Trevor Lawrence or Deshaun Watson. We know what they can do. But if they don't have that, are they good enough to be able to still make a push to the college football playoff? Gone are the coordinators that help propel them to new heights as well. Tony Yellins, now the head coach of Virginia, and you also obviously have Brent Venables, who's now the head coach at Oklahoma. So Brandon Streeter on offense and Wes Goodwin on defense, can they fill those voids and then take it to account one step further? Will they maximize what they are on both sides of the ball? We know they are banged up. We know they're going to play championship-caliber defense Mm -hmm. That goes without saying, but will the offense hold up its end of the bargain? I think they can run the football, but can they now throw the football at the same level of efficiency that they've had in recent years? So I'm cautiously optimistic. I think Clemson will have a bounce-back type of season. I actually think they'll make the playoff, but is is there really anyone within striking distance if they play their A game? That's one of the biggest questions I want to find out.
1: All right, Greg, what about the Big 12?
2: See, the Big 12 to me right now is probably the most difficult league to handicap in the entire country because I really don't know if there's a single team that's going to get to 10 wins. I mean, you look across the board, and I'm, I mean this, y'all. There are probably five or six different teams that could legitimately win the league. We know Oklahoma can. Vegas thinks they're going to win nine and a half. That's where Vegas is at. That's Oklahoma. They're the favorite, okay, along with Baylor, they might not get to double digits after they lost a lot of quality pieces off last year. Texas, are they back now? Are they going to actually surge and play well in the second half of football games and close football games out? I don't know. Oklahoma State probably should have won the league last year if not for an abysmal performance in the Big 12 championship game where they just couldn't stop turning the football over in the first half of that football game. So that's four teams right there. I'm not even mentioning the likes of some sleeper teams that I really like, like Kansas State and TCU. So this league across the board is as deep as, and as difficult to project as I think there is in all of college football. So my question is, can anyone get to 10 wins? Because if they can, that's probably going to win the league.
3: All right, Greg. Well, as deep as this this, this conference is, I, let's just ask them the real burning question, which is this. Are you really mad if anybody wins it outside of Texas or Oklahoma? Like, just be honest. Like, And I say that with all due respect, which means you know what that means. But you look at a team like Baylor. You look at, well, Baylor won it last year, but – Nobody wants Texas or Oklahoma to be able to take away a championship and then leave on top of it in another year or so. So, if I'm Big 12, and the only question I want to know is, from everybody else, how happy are you if anybody wins it outside of Oklahoma and Texas?
1: All right, well, that depends on your perspective, Roman, I would guess, because (laughs) you know uh, the fans of those two teams would beg to differ. There's no question about that. All right, Roman, how about the most burning question for you when we talk about the Big Ten?
3: Well, we saw what happened last year, but is that an anomaly or is that going to be a regular thing? And my question is, is there any true threat to Ohio State in the Big Ten? You know, we saw Michigan. They stepped up. They won the big game. They finally beat them. And first time since Harbaugh's been there, Michigan State took a big step, but they had a lot of transfers, a lot of moving pieces. Wisconsin gets there every year, and we know what they're going to be. But who really, truly – threatens Ohio State outside of an upset in Purdue or upset some regular season game late in the year when they're sleeping around looking forward to another game. Ohio State is by far and away the clear-cut best team in the Big Ten. So who will be that next team to step up and actually rise their game, their whole program, to who will be able to compete week in and week out and say, no, we're going to go into Ohio State, and they got to worry about us and not Ohio State looking at somebody like Alabama or Georgia, and that's the only team that they can compare themselves to.
2: See, I think Ohio State, winning the league should be a slam dunk, no (laughs) doubt. They should win the league. They should. If they don't, it's their own fault. It it really is. But have they addressed the issues that have plagued them the last two years? Because this is not a one-year occurrence. This is a two-year, multi-year occurrence in which they have been atrociously bad at times on the defensive side of the football. Ohio State's M.O. forever has been they want to get after the quarterback and they want to create turnovers. Well, the good news is last year they did a pretty good job when it comes to forcing interceptions. They did a pretty good job when it comes to sacks. However, compared to Ohio State teams of years past, it paled in comparison. Y'all, in 2020, they were 49th in the country in sacks. In 2021, they were 34th in the country in sacks. You know what they were in 2019? First. And that was the last time Ohio State played the caliber of defense that you've come to expect from the Buckeyes. So they've hired Jim Knowles from Oklahoma State. I think they'll take a step in the right direction because if you look at that Oklahoma State, that's where Jim Knowles came from. Look at that Oklahoma State defense last year. They were aggressive, and they could penetrate and create negative plays, and they could get a lot of pressure on quarterbacks. But will that be able to work and will he wave, wave the magic wand there in year one at Columbus is the real question for me because I know Ohio State's great, but do they play championship caliber defense? That's the big question.
1: Well, it's almost a sure thing that offense will be explosive. That question we can uh, answer, I think, but it makes sense then that the question would be on the defensive side of the ball. Greg, finally, that's rounded out the most burning question for you when we talk Pac 12.
2: Can USC legitimately threaten? And so much about the Pac-12 conversation throughout the offseason has been, well, Lincoln Riley's in Southern Cal. Can he get it done? He's got Caleb Williams. He's got Jordan Addison. He went and got Travis Dye, who transferred down, workhorse running back who can catch it and run it out of the backfield at Oregon. He's now at SC. So we know they have great playmakers. That goes without saying. But in order to threaten, I think threaten in that league in particular, you have to go through Utah and you have to go through Oregon. And those two teams right now are built from the inside out. Utah's amazing and always has been in the front seven defensively, and they have an excellent quarterback in Cam Rising, who reminds me of Tony Romo with the way he just seems to make plays, even though it's not always pretty. And then Oregon, nobody wants to talk about Oregon, but Dan Landing's there, and he's also from that Nick Saban tree, that Kirby Smart tree, So I think they're going to be a physical team that's built along the line of scrimmage, both offensively and defensively. If SC is not built in that way, they might struggle in year one because some of the
3: prognostications on the Trojans, Roman, they seem a little far-fetched. I get it. Hey, that's a great name drop, too. Tony Romo comparison. I mean, we had to go find this guy. He was at Southern (laughs) Illinois. You didn't even know he was there. At least Cam Rises at Utah in front of some crowds. But my question here, Greg is that will there be a pulse from the West Coast this year in college football? We haven't had a real pulse in quite some time. Oregon will be the team I want to talk about first because they will be the team first up. They got Georgia in Atlanta in week one. If they come down with Bo Nix and that Oregon offense led by Danny Nanning on defense as the head coach, and Pops, Georgia, next you know the West Coast has a pulse early. Now you look at Lincoln Riley coming to USC with everything, everything that he's meant as offensively bringing Caleb Williams and all those other weapons that you talked about. Everybody's waiting and in, with enthusiasm to see what this team is going to do this year, right now. And also Utah, we know how good they are physically and what they are and what they mean as business. Like all they will do is just show up and play football week in and week out. And now they have the quarterback to put them over the top I need to see a pulse from the West Coast this year when it comes to college football. And I'm talking about right now.
1: I would say this too, Roman. College football as a whole is better when there's a pulse on the West Coast. It brings the people together,
3: Wendy. It brings the people together, Wendy. It It does. It brings us together.
1: It's it's all good news when that happens. We'll see. A lot of question marks. Of course, a lot of new faces in new places. Still to come on College Football Live, players, coaches, and administrators across football were asked how to change the playoff. Their answers and opinions may surprise you. Plus, Oklahoma head coach Brent Venables has commitment issues. Oh, well, well, he has issues with commitments we'll explain after this college football live is brought to you by champion giving women the confidence to play by their own rules Welcome back to College Football Live. Talking season has come to a close after the Pac-12 wrapped up their media day on Friday. A common talking point among all conference commissioners, the idea of expanding the college football playoff. Here's a sampling of what some had to say regarding playoff expansion.
3: I I would like to see an expanded playoff. What the structure of that and what that looks like is certainly something that we, we all need to discuss. I'm looking forward to having meaningful conversations with my other Uh, Power 5 commissioners. Obviously, I'm seeing Bill Hancock uh, in a couple of weeks to learn a little bit more about CFP and and all the moving parts, but generally speaking, I'd like to see expansion. And if we're going to go back to square one, then we're going to take a step back from
2: the model introduced and rethink the approach. Uh, Number of teams, whether there should be any guarantee for conference champions at all, just earn your way in. Um, There's something that's healthy competitively about that and creates expectations and support around programs. Where we go, we'll see. There's a lot of work to do. Uh, We have time and we'll use it. I still feel strongly that we need to open it up to have multiple media partners. Uh, We need to take a holistic view. We need to make sure we protect some of the critical bowl relationships. As we work through all these, whether it's automatic qualifier, whatever the case may be, I'm confident as we get these new individuals in the room, get these issues on the table, that we'll be able to reach some resolution. And again, make sure we ask ourselves the right questions for the right reasons at the right time for our student-athletes and our fans. But I look forward to the day that we can expand the college football playoff, and I'm confident
3: that it will happen.
1: Joining us now, ESPN College sports reporter David Hale, who has an article out right now on ESPN.com, where, David, you interviewed a lot of folks, over 200 players coaches and administrators throughout college football we know that's a lot of different opinions one of the topics and there were a variety of different ones was the idea of expanding the college football playoff if you will sort of summarize or give us a consensus of what people believe is the ideal format for the playoff.
0: Consensus is an interesting term there, Wendy. It's, there really wasn't one. Uh, and there was uh, uh, there was a bunch of write-in ballots for uh, the get off my lawn, let's go back to the BCS days. Uh, but for the most part, I think you saw a, a unified belief that we should expand. Just what that expansion is going to look like is the question. About a third of our respondents liked the proposal that Greg Sankey alluded to that they put forth last year with six automatic qualifiers, six wild cards, in a 12-team playoff, uh, but we saw others that said, hey, we want a 12-team playoff, but we don't want any AQs. Uh, we had about a third that said we'd prefer an 18-team playoff and just have a couple of wild cards make the more the bigger priority conference championships. And then, you know, we had some folks, about 14%, who said, let's get the 16 teams, let's really open it up, give as many leagues and teams a chance as possible. Um, another big part of this was they saw a way to, to increase Uh, diversity of the teams that are playing in the playoffs, the more from different regions, the better seem to be the consensus response.
1: Well, it's true, though, consensus being the operative word, because when you talk about one-third, 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 that is for sure not consensus. So, David, stay with us. We're going to talk about NIL in just a bit, but I want to go back to Roman and Greg, uh, because, again, another country heard from here. Roman, uh, in your opinion, what's the ideal format for the playoff?
3: I do believe in expansion, but limited expansion. And what do I mean by that? I say go to eight teams. Let's have two teams with a bye, the top two. And then let them all battle out from there. So from three three versus eight, four versus seven, five versus six. And I want those game home and home. So the, the high ranked team gets a home game. Really pump it up even more. Give a different experience. Teams traveling to places they've never gone before. Then come back to the Final Four and do it as the bowl game set up from there, as we're normally and used to traditionally doing it. But why do we need to expand more than that? We haven't seen a close matchup between 1 and 4 yet, besides Notre Dame and Alabama. And think they won by 17. I don't want to see one versus eight. I don't want to see it. It's bad for college football. And the players already are not being compensated enough. And now you're asking them to put their body in more danger. Every time we roll out there, it's more and more opportunity to roll an ankle or have something bad happen to their their career. See, I'm one that – why do we need –
2: in a world in which we are constantly changing and maneuvering and we have polls – Why do we have to have a finite number? Why don't we just expand and contract the playoff based on how many teams are worthy? Some years, there's eight teams worthy. Some years, there's 10 teams that are worthy. Some teams, there's four years. There's four teams that are worthy. Why do we have to have a finite number? And I know the answer to that is, well, it's business. And we need to know exactly what teams and what cities will host and what conference champions will be rewarded. Yeah, well, if you're a five-win conference or a five-loss conference champion... I don't think you're necessarily worthy of the college football playoffs, so you should not get an automatic qualifier. And also those that have said, well, we need power five plus one. What is the power five? Tell me the difference right now between the Big 12 of what it's going to be with Cincinnati, Houston, UCF, and BYU, and currently what the American is. There's nothing. And yet we treat the American as if it's a step below. It's not, especially when you look at the new age Big 12. So I think we should expand and contract. And if you have three or more losses – you should not ever be eligible for the college football playoff. So that means some years we have nine, we have nine. that means some years we have six, we have six. If there's some years that we have 14, we have 14. But we can expand and contract based on how many teams are worthy and how many teams earn it over the course of the regular season.
1: You know, recognizing, Greg, there's a lot of difficulty there with uh, execution. I, I do think that has a lot of merit. I mean, every mm-hmm. year, every season – is not the same and it's sort of it's senseless in a way to, to treat it as if it is we'll go back to david now because another topic as you might imagine uh that came up in this survey was nil or name image likeness david what was one of the questions that stood out to you when you talked again to over 200 people about nil and its future
0: yeah, we asked a lot of different NIL-related questions, uh, one being uh, who should be making up the rules. Everybody seems to still think they're waiting for the government to do it, and I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, but we mostly asked about NIL as it relates to recruiting, and we asked, is it a primary lore in recruiting? More than uh, three-quarters of our respondents said that it was, and that's, again, including a number of players. So you, you get an idea looking at this. This goes chart going from strongly disagree to strongly agree. It is, without question, has become one of the biggest factors in recruiting. Uh, Along those same lines, we asked about tampering. That was off the charts. Uh, Everybody said that's a problem. Um, And we asked whether or not NIL had become some sort of de facto pay-for-play model. And by and large, everyone, including players, coaches, and administrators, all thought that that had largely taken place, too. So we're talking about a scenario in which almost everybody seems to think that, A, NIL is critical to recruiting, and B, it's more or less pay-for-play already.
1: Yeah, listen, it changed so lightning fast. We knew we were going to get to NIL, but maybe didn't get it completely ironed out before we uh, rolled it out. David, thank you. Really interesting article. You can see it now on ESPN.com. Coming up, we're going to tell you what marriage and college football recruiting have in common. That's right. Brent Venables helps connect the dots when we return on College Football Live.
3: I know this, there's a lot of flaws in taking a commitment, making a reservation, and then going gonna go doing your thing. How can I manage a roster or who else I need to offer if I got nine guys committed, but they're going to Bama and Georgia and LSU and A&M? How can I manage? How can I take commitments? I don't know what my numbers are. <laughs> do I don't want a guy to commit. Do not commit. Like, hey coach, I'm ready to commit. Hey buddy, does it, here's what commitment looks like now, okay? I want to make sure that you know, that you know, that you know, that you know, that you know. So I say, will you marry me? You say yes, and we get married. Okay, and then we start off on the right foot, not like I dated four or five women, and all of a sudden we feel in some kind of way, you know.
1: Well, Roman, that's one way to put it, but I, I do think Coach Venables has a point. There are a lot of challenges to managing this transfer portal and managing things the way they are now. But um, you know, I, so just, I get marriage I, and college football. I don't know.
3: I just want, I just want Head Coach Venables to know that I had a classmate that committed to thirty different schools my year. So this is nothing new. You just have those athletes that are going to be that guy that likes to flirt with everybody.
2: Fair oh, enough. The Greg? only thing I would say is that if Venables is going to say this, he also <laughs> must be critical of coaches that leave from one job to the next. So I'm just saying Keep you, it got to, you true, can't Greg. have both.
3: There we go, Greg.
1: <laughs> Two sides to every corn, gentlemen. You guys know that better than others. We'll be back tomorrow. coach Football Live, 2.30 Eastern on Tuesday. We will see you then.